Hey, what's going on, everybody? I am AJ, and I'm going to break down UFC 257 in full. Just researched the entire card, took notes on it. Got a couple other podcasts I'm doing this week where preparation for the, the full card is is encouraged. So I just thought, why not do that? And uh, now that I have all my, my bets for the next few cards, you know, done. So I've got some free time on my hand, hands. And so I thought, why not put this podcast together for this tremendous card? We'll get into each fight. We'll start with the first fight uh, that ESPN lists. Pardon that. That was a video that was playing on the ESPN site, which is uh, Amir Albazi in Zalgas, Jumagulov, all the way on up from there on out. We've got the early prelims and prelims, and then, of course, the main card with the headliner of Poirier. McGregor, too. Some kind of just quick thoughts on this card. I think that, obviously, we'll get into it, but there's a few spots that I like for betting. But other than that, there isn't too many opportunities that I think are all too enticing. I don't think that there is uh, as much value on the line as I would like to to warn a bet. There's some other spots where I think that there's a lot, a very live underdog, but I could easily just see them losing. Um, we'll get into some fights like that. And when, you know, the margin for error for that particular fighter is so uh, narrow, you know, it, you know, on, on my behalf to warn a bet, it just makes me feel more encouraged to, to place a bet, um, you know, at, at a certain underdog price rather than just looking at, you know, plus one, plus 100 or plus 130. I'd like a little bit more wiggle room before warranting uh, bets for something like that. So we'll get into that particular fight. That, that fight, of course, I'm alluding to is Herbola versus Zaitar. But we'll start off with the aforementioned Albazi in Zalgis, Jumagulov. Odds have this is competitive at the time I'm recording this year, Wednesday, January 20th, 6.38 p.m. Central Standard Time. And I tend to agree, you know, Zumagulov, I'd say he's got the more proven resume. You know, he's faced guys like Tyson Nam, Tagir Ulden-Bakov. He fought Holly and Paiva in his UFC debut. And he's got that going for him. I'd say he's more, more experienced, less green of the two based on that. He... I'd say Juma Golov is a guy that is is good everywhere, but he doesn't. He's not really excellent in any particular area. He's got you know some decent technical striking. He could feign a lot. He utilizes oblique kicks, which I like. He's got solid head movements, uh, solid movement overall in terms of mobility. Utilizes some leg kicks. He could throw in combination. He's also a, a capable grappler. He could utilize the judo throw, uh, chain wrestle. He could, and he also has solid overall takedown defense. I'd say, though there are times where he prioritizes, you know, say ninja chokes in the clinch rather than defending a takedown attempt. And that, as a result, has gotten him taken down uh, by Ali Bagotinov, another fighter that he fought, former UFC fighter. He's also had his back takenly, or excuse me, back taken constantly against the fence. And I've also seen him controlled in the clinch. So I say all this because, you know, I do think that overall Jumugulov is well-rounded, but these areas that I pointed out, I could see Albazi exploiting, you know, Albazi is a grappler, BJJ purple belt. He showed off his grappling skills in his debut with submission win. I'd say in top position, he's got good shoulder pressure. He can threaten from his guard. Obviously he looks to advance position in top position. He's got some scrambling proficiency. He's good at maintaining back control. You know, he utilizes hooks, sinking in the, the hooks and the body triangle. And um, he's also a capable wrestler as well. He could, you know, utilize a single leg with a run the pipe. Takedown ability, double leg takedown ability. He could chain wrestle as well. 
And he too is a solid technical striker. He utilizes the jab to measure range, good footwork, and circular movements, ability to switch stances, likes to throw the one-two with the check left hook and low kick. So I'm kind of going a little bit more in depth in this fight than say some of these other fights because these these guys are still relatively unknown to the public. So I feel like it's it's right and just to go a little bit more in depth and into two guys that to be honest, we've only seen in the UFC one time, respectively. We saw Juma Gulov go three rounds in his UFC debut, which was nice. But Albizi's fight just ended so quick that, you know, in the public's eye, we don't, you know, know as much about him in the UFC's octagon. You know, I'd say the areas of his game that he can improve are, again, what I said about comparing him to Juma Gulov. You know, he's not as experienced as Juma Gulov. He hasn't been tested near that level of opposition. I've seen him slow down in fights, has Albizi. And I do tend to think he will struggle against fighters with strong defensive wrestling um, because I, I do think his, his striking is capable. It's improving, but I'd say his head movement uh, could be improved as a result. I saw him uh, get dropped a couple times by Jose Shorty Torres um, in the fight that he had with him. So again, a little bit more in depth than usual, but I think that that's right. And just as far as a pick goes, I am going to end up picking Jimmy Gulab. I just think the the experience, the, the more well-roundedness of the two. And, you know, full disclosure, I did have a bet on Holly and Paiva in that UFC debut, but I honestly think you can make a really solid case that Jimmy Gulab beat Holly and Paiva. For what it's worth, I think Holly and Paiva is a, a very talented fighter. So, you know, certainly there's something to be said there, you know, more experience in the UFC octagon, even though it is one fight sample size. Again, I'm not shocked that the odds are this close. I wouldn't be shocked to see Albizi pull off the upset. Like I said, he's talented. He's Fairly well-rounded himself, but ultimately I do, as far as the pick goes, I'm picking Jumu Gulab, but no bet here either way. I think this fight is close because Jumu Gulab tends to fight very competitive with the opposition. Um, Mavzar Evlaev and Nick Lentz. I mean, I don't think we need to talk too much about this because Evlaev is the biggest favorite on the card, and I tend to agree. You know, I just think he's a much better fighter, much closer to his prime at this point. You know, Lentz is, is tough. He's durable. He's been fighting the best of the best for years. But just I see regression with Lens. I think that Evlaev's a, a lot more athletic, a lot faster. And, you know, Lens is, you know, a good wrestler. Like he's got a good wrestling background, but I would I'd be pretty shocked to see him just take down and control Evlaev. I know Evlaev was taken down six times by Mike Grundy. He was taken down a few times by Enrique Barzola, but he's a very capable scrambler as Evlaev and a good wrestler himself. So yeah, sure. Lentz could land a couple takedowns, but just his regression. Um, I thought he would have an easier time getting Arnold Allen down. He struggled there against a guy who I'd say has more susceptible takedown defense than Evlaev. Not that Allen's a bad defensive wrestler or anything like that, but if he struggled to get Allen down, I think that he'll struggle to get Evlaev down. And, you know, Lentz on the feet, He again, he's durable. He'll He'll come forward, but he's moderately hittable. He doesn't really move particularly well, and his striking is rudimentary. Evlaev's just a much better striker than him, I think, and he's got a reach advantage. You know, Evlaev's more technical. He utilizes feints. He's got fast hands, sharp boxing, uh, good footwork, and he's also got some power. So, you know, even though Lentz is generally durable, I did notice that he was he was hurt noticeably by by Allen last time. I wouldn't be shocked because I do think that there's this wide, there is a wide discrepancy here in the speed and athleticism. I wouldn't be shocked to see Evlaev get a stop and cheer. So I think Evlaev's one of these guys, and it's no secret, a lot of people are high on him, and rightfully so. He's young, he's ever-improving. He trains at Tiger Muay Thai, very well-rounded guy. So 
he's already looked really, really good. And I think that there's a the potential that he could look even better significantly as his career progresses, just based on his age, where he trains, et cetera, et cetera. So Mazai Evlaev is the rightful favorite. You know, I was considering, I, you know, before the odds were released, I saw this matchup announced and I, I got excited. But um, my thought process to myself was Evlaev would need to be minus 400 or better for me to warrant a bet. I am willing to bet on him at, at that wide of a line. But now that it's, you know, crept up north to minus 500 on some books, it's just it's just a pass for me. So I'll just sit back and enjoy. And, uh, you know, maybe we could, uh, you know, maybe there's a, a potential betting opportunity to capitalize on in the future with, with either of them. <clears throat> We've got Mohamed Murdov and Andrew Sanchez. Very interesting matchup because – I think it kind of depends on how good Muradov's defensive grappling is. We really haven't seen it tested in the UFC. He, I wouldn't expect to be bad. I mean, he's, he's a good athlete. He, you know, is very noteworthy, but you know, he does train with uh, Floyd Mayweather. He's part of that team. So, and I do think that's, that's worth mentioning because it, it really says something, you know, being an MMA fighter working with, you know, the money team is, is something that, you know, tells me at least that they, they think highly of, of Mahmoud and I, I think highly of him too. I mean, this is a guy who I'd say he's, he's a good technical striker. He utilizes the jab. He's got uh, good footwork, mobility, mobility. He could switch stances. His hands are sharp. He's varied. He looks to stick and move on the outside. He utilizes some feints. He's a good combination striker. And he's also got a, a double leg takedown that he could utilize though. He does prefer to strike. Um, Sanchez, Sanchez striking is not bad by any means, but you know, I'd say that he's more hittable of the two. I would, I do favor Muradov in the striking, not by a wide margin, but just a bit better defensively though. If you do, um, though Mahmoud is very hittable when he does circle the fence. So, and Sanchez will come forward. So if Sanchez is, is pressuring forward, whether he wants to get the clinch or the takedown um, in open space, there is openings for him there. Um, if, if he backs Mahmoud up far enough and, you know, if I'm Sanchez, I'm just trying to, to clinch up with, with Murdov and, and try and test his wrestling to see what it's like. It's not that I don't think Sanchez could compete with him on the feet. I just think that the path of least resistance here would kind of be the Mark Andre Barrio type path to victory. Just clinch, take him down a couple times, get some control. Yeah, sure. You know, have some moderate success in the striking department, but ultimately I do think it'll be Mahmoud that that gets the better of the exchanges there because he is less hittable. Um, you know, Sanchez is just mainly like a single sh shot striker. You know, Mahmed will be uh, throwing more, you know, and potentially he could hurt Sanchez. You know, Sanchez has some power himself, but, you know, we've seen Sanchez, Sanchez, excuse me, finish three times in pro MMA once on the regionals and uh, twice in the UFC, you know, granted, these, these stoppages came after he was very tired, but you know, that that's always, uh, I guess a possibility with him. I think his cardio has gotten better since those, those losses, but he still does slow down as the fight progresses. You know, he even slowed down against Marc-Andre Barrio in round two. Barrio was able to tee off on him there, uh, towards the end of the second round. So his chin is high, his hands are low. I mean, Mahmoud's striking defense isn't like perfect either, but like, I just, I favor Mahmoud in the striking and it, it is kind of a guest fight. And that's ultimately why I'm passing on it. I did think that going into tape, I might have a bet on Mahmoud, but that's not the case. Cause I just, it's an unknown. I, I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't expect his defensive grappling to be bad just based on how good of an athlete he is, how, 
how he moves, how experienced he is. I mean, this is a guy that has uh, a wealth of experience, um, you know, around 30 pro fights or so. So I wouldn't expect it to be bad, but it is still an unknown that's like lingering that's, you know, potentially we could see addressed here and then we could make a decision or there's a decision to be made, uh, you know, whether it's Machbet or whether it's Sanchez in the future. So this is just a fight where I want to sit back and enjoy. I'm going to pick Machbet to win because I think he's a better striker. And I, I suppose that his his defensive grappling is assumed good enough to kind of avoid any sort of significant control time. But, you know, Sanchez can use that to tire him out because we did see Machbet slow down in that UFC debut against uh, Alessio DiCherico there. So, <clears throat> Those are my thoughts there. I agree with the line being competitive. And Khalil Roundtree Jr. taking on Marcin Prashnow. Um, you know, I, I think I think it's Roundtree all day, to be honest. I mean, he's Roundtree's issues in the past have been with defensive grappling and cardio. That shouldn't really be an issue here unless if he's – I mean, Prashnow has shown defensive grappling liabilities himself, so I don't think that's on the table. It would more so be the cardio – like, again, this is just kind of a reach, but just something that I'd like to note, you know, he, you know, Roundtree will, will kind of slow down on you. Like, look at the Mikela Lechechuk fight. Look at the Eric Anders fight when he was kind of teeing off on him. His hands were on his hips in round two. You could tell he was uh, fatigued from just kind of inflicting a lot of damage on Anders. So I don't think that sort of thing would, would happen here, but it is still, it, it, there's enough there with, with Roundtree, even at his line where I'm like pass. Um, even though I do think he goes out there and knocks Prachniao out, I just think that Roundtree's a much better striker. Um, he, he's a very good striker, I'd say. You know, he's got nice variety with his combinations. He utilizes a jab, push kick. He works the body with with kicks and punches. He's got big power in his hands, eight knockdowns in the UFC. He's got a nice combination, double jab overhand left that he dropped Eric Anders with in round two. He's got a hard low kick, so... Roundtree's got a little bit of everything going on in terms of the striking. You know, he's varied, he's dangerous, uh, technical, um, and, he, and he's a guy that has done um, work in Thailand, you know, to work on, on his striking. And I really do believe that that has paid dividends. So it is a spot where I, I know that Roundtree has struggled with grappling in the past. I just don't see that being an issue here because, like I say, Prashnow, you know, to me, everything I've seen, even on his regional footage, he's, he's a striker. I mean, I've seen – I, I've seen him struggle with the grapp grappling. I, you know, even in that UFC debut against Sam Alvey, he was taken out easily by Alvey. I've, I've seen him taken out easily uh, by Machado twice on the regionals. And why I think Roundtree's going to knock him out here is because, again, well, A, Roundtree has power and he's technical, but like Pacino, we saw it in his first three fights. He was, he was knocked out in all three. He was also knocked out um, another time on the regionals. And I believe it was by Alexander Rakic, if I'm not mistaken. Um, let me just fact check myself real quick. Bear with me for a second. Alexander Rakic. Let me just double check. Yeah, yep. And yeah, that Alexander Rakic, the the guy that is fighting Thiago Santos here coming up. So again, these are these are talented fighters that he's losing to. But again, just the, the durability and the fact that he's just wide open at counters. Um, you know, the, just the Sam Alvey fight. I mean, he just like walked Alvey down with his hands down and, and Alvey just countered him and knocked him out. And I could see something like that happening here. You know, Ankalaev, same type of deal. You know, he, he was hurt by a counter by Ankalaev and then he was finished. And, and then he was, he was hurt by uh, Rodriguez and then finished. So, you know, Roundtree at this line, I think it's justified to be honest. I know that it, it could be a little hesitant because I just pointed out 
there, there are a couple of games that I do think that he can improve. And I do think he is getting better in those areas. You know, I noticed that on his Instagram, he actually got uh, his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu blue belts. Uh, Powerhouse Phuket's is the affiliation uh, there. So, um, again, I like to see these improvements out of Roundtree, but, you know, there's there's enough there. Again, the cardio gives me pause to, to not bet him at this line. I was considering the under one and a half rounds, but ultimately the line isn't isn't good enough for me to warrant a bet. So um, the line would have to get a bit better for me to, to bet him there. But ultimately, I agree with Roundtree being a, a good a good size favorite here. <clears throat> we got Sarah McMahon taking on Juliana Pena. This is my first bet that I'll discuss. So I did bet Sarah McMahon on paper. I just think it's an excellent style match of her, to be honest. I think she's the far superior wrestler. She comes from the higher pedigree. You know, she's an Olympian freestyle silver medalist. She's just got better takedown ability in the octagon. You know, she could get you with a trip, single leg body lock. And we've seen Pena struggle to defend takedowns, you know, in more than one fight, you know, we saw her struggle to defend takedowns against Nico Montano. Um, we saw her struggle in the grappling against Jermaine Deronomy. Um, you know, so I, I just really do believe that it'll be McMahon that more than likely gets top position here. And I do think that she'll be able to pass the guard at Pena and, and you know, possibly get a finish. You know, Pena, just watching her defend against Deronomy, you know, Deronomy was able to um, reverse here in, in round uh, two. And in round three, we saw her get the sub. And then we also saw her submitted. We also saw, uh, excuse me, Pena submitted by Valentina Shevchenko from her guard prior to her layoff. So it's just one of these fights where I get it. Like McMahon at time, like there's fights where she's winning dominantly early on. And then she goes on to lose like the Marion Renault fight, the Caitlin Vieira fight. I just, I see this fight as different because Marion Renault you know, is a very capable striker. I know that Pena is capable as well, but I actually favor McMahon on the feet. I think she's more technical. I think she moves better and she's more, uh, she has more power. So I don't think that, you know, her getting like clipped with a punch is, is that far and is, is as much in play here as that matchup. And then as far as like the Caitlin Vieira, like, I mean, it's possible that in a scramble, maybe, maybe um, <clears throat> Pena ends up in top position, but like, Again, you know, there, there's there's fights. I mean, referencing the Montano fight where Pena is going for takedowns and then she's like pulling Montano on top of her. And, and Sarah's got really strong takedown defense historically. So I just think that Sarah's a better striker on the feet and she's a better grappler. And I think she'll be able to pass the guard of Pena. And whether she holds significant top control time to win rounds or by finish, I just think that she should win this by a clear margin. Again, I get it. You know, Pena is a threatening submission grappler herself. Maybe she locks something up from her guard. She's a submission threat from the front headlock position. It's possible. Again, I don't, I said it before, but I don't get married to outcomes in this. It, it is possible that Pena wins. And, um, but, but I do think that percentage wise, there is value on McMahon's line. And that is ultimately why I, I bet her. And if you want to know the more specifics on that bet, it's, uh, to total the to four units at two different lines that I posted on Twitter, um, my written breakdown. So um, those are specifics there, but I, I just really do feel as though this is a strong style matchup for Sarah. Again, I get it. Pena is, um, you know, th there's a potential that she's improving. Um, she's a talented fighter herself. Maybe she locks something up, but I, I really do think that Sarah is the better, um, 
excels better in the areas where, where, where Pena excels generally. So I like Sarah to win. <clears throat> Brad Tavares taking on Antonio Carlos Jr. here. So this is one of these fights, you know, prior to tape, I wasn't, you know, really sure what to make of it. And then I watched tape and I, I think this is a pretty good style match for Tavares. He, he tends to struggle against very threatening strikers. And as a result, we've seen him knocked out a few times in the UFC. You know, he was knocked out by uh, Shabazi. And most recently he was knocked out by Whitaker. He was knocked out by Bosch and uh, one of his other, uh, Romero, you know, he was Romero out wrestled him basically, but he still had to deal with the athleticism, the power threat of Romero on feet. So he had more than one thing to kind of worry about in that matchup and uh, concerned about rather is the right word. In this matchup against Carlos Jr., I really think that that's kind of off the table. Yeah, sure, it is possible if, you know, if, if Carlos Jr., again, he is making improvements with his stand-up. He's got a bit of reach. If he knocks Brad out, if Brad's got a legitimate durability issue, then I wouldn't be all too surprised, I guess. But, like, the, the fact is Carlos Jr. hasn't registered one knockdown in the UFC, and he doesn't have any – uh, wins by TKO in his whole career, in his whole pro career. So again, I, I suppose it's on the table that he, he knocks Tavares out, but, but history suggests that it's not particularly likely. And Tavares, I just think is a better striker. So in theory, like Tavares really only has to worry about the grappling threat. And I do in ACJ is huge. He's a, excellent Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner. You know, ACJ is is a guy, and why I say he's huge, he actually used to fight at heavyweight, you know, and now, now he's fighting at, at middleweight. Um, he's strong in the clinch is ACJ, but why I like Brad here is, again, much better striker. He's much more technical, more defensively sound, better counter striker, but also Brad is a really solid defensive grappler. You know, just watching him in <clears> – <throat> excuse me, transitions, you know, defending takedowns against some of the previous opposition, you know, he's very good at, in terms of keeping his balance, he'll hit the switch on you. If you go for a takedown against the fence, he'll spread a wide base. He fishes for underhooks. He's got good head position. Um, and even when he got, even when he has gotten taken down, he's a, a solid scrambler. He scrambles back to his feet very well without giving up his back. And I, I referenced the Romero fight and, you know, it was a while ago. I think he's gotten better since then. But even in that fight, you know, Romero, a Olympic level wrestler, he he made Romero work. He, I mean, Romero took him down seven times for a reason. It's because, you know, he just kept he kept getting up a few times. And so ACJ, you know, he is one of these guys who, again, he he's not just a high level black belt. He actually has a takedown game to get the fight to the ground at a sustainable rate. He's got a single leg power double leg against the fence, body lock and angle change ability, which I really like. Um, he utilizes the vice grip in the clinch, making it difficult to separate. We saw that in the Ian Heinish fight. He could trash, transition to the back mid takedown attempt. So I like Carlos Jr. in general, but I just think this is one of the tougher style matchups for him in the division based on the counter grappling threat of Tavares mixed with his better striking and, and better cardio. You know, we've seen Carlos Jr. Slow down more than once against guys that, that give him a lot of resistance in the grappling, right? And it makes sense. You know, when you're grappling a lot, it's just more taxing on the cardio 
rather than just going out there and striking for 15 minutes. Obviously, striking it requires a lot of energy too, but you know, grappling is 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 very taxing on the cardio. That's why it's so impressive that these guys go out, these guys like Usman and, and we just saw Ricky Simone uh tonight go out there and land several takedowns in, in 15 minutes or less or 25 minutes if if in the case of Usman and Covington. It's just so impressive the cardio that these guys have. I mean, it really is. So um, again, I'm not saying ACJ has bad cardio or anything like that, but again, we have seen more than once where you do pose resistance with his grappling. He does slow down and it makes sense based on the style that he has. You know, we saw it against Dan Kelly where he was finished on the ground. We even saw it two fights ago with Ian Heinish. Um, I liked Ian Heinish in that spot. I took, I took a shot on him as a big underdog and, you know, it was, it was a kind of a similar style matchup that he had with Ferreira, a guy that was very reliant on getting him to the ground and Heinish despite getting taken down by ACJ, he made him work, you know, he would get taken down, but he'd scramble. And then um, he ended up in top position and it was, it was Heinish that got in top position on ACJ in rounds two and three and, and was able to get those rounds from, from landing a lot of round and pound. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to see Brad kind of do something similar. You know, Brad could counter grapple and just end up in top position and stay safe from ACJ's guard and just kind of land some ground and pound and get some top position. So, um, it is a, a risk in the sense that, again, we haven't seen Tavares in in a uh, little over a year. Uh, and he is coming off a, another knockout loss. But I just think ultimately, stylistically, without, um, you know, just, just looking at, it, at what we can measure and what we can actually point to to say, like, this is concrete evidence. I do think that this is a solid spot for Brad. I put two units on him to win. The line has actually moved the opposite way since I did bet him. But... Um, again, it, it is what it is. I mean, we, we'll see how this fight plays out. The other bet that I have, on, <clears throat> excuse me. The other bet that I have on this fight is the over two and a half rounds. And it's because, um, I got it at minus minus one sixty. You know, I think the line was where it was because ACJ is typically in fights where they're finish or be finished. You know, historically, if you look at his 15 pro fights, you know, he has one no contest in there, but um, only five of them have been to decision. You know, most of them have finished. And even the last fight against Uriah Hall almost finished. Um, but in this matchup against Tavares, I do think that they're going to struggle to finish each other because even – so in terms of the striking, I favor Brad there. But Brad's – even though he's very technical and a very good counter striker, he's not a big power puncher. Um, he's just not. Like, he doesn't have that many knockdowns in the UFC. And, you know – the the Christoph Yako TKO finish was his first TKO finish um, since 2011 against Phil Baroni. You know, so again, can it happen? It can, but you know, history would suggest that even though Brad is a very good striker, that he he he's not a huge power puncher. I don't think he's I don't think he's the the power puncher that Uriah Hall is. And we saw we we did see Hall hurt ACJ, but. Again, that was the only time ACJ has been knocked down in the UFC. He hasn't been finished with a standing TKO. There's nothing to lead me to suggest that he's got like a chin issue or anything like that. Um, and, and even when he did get knocked down by, by Hall, it wasn't like, you know, he recovered fine. I didn't think it was like this atrocious. It wasn't a bad recovery or anything like that. So there's that angle. And then, yeah, I mean, ACJ in terms of like, I guess, submitting or finishing Brad, on the feet again, I, I just, he doesn't have a knockdown in the UFC, doesn't have a TKO, don't think that's likely. And then in terms of like him finishing Tavares on the ground, 
Don't think that's particularly likely either. I mean, Brad has has not been submitted ever in his pro career in 23 pro fights, and he's fought some good grapplers in there. You know, he fought Christoph Yako, uh, Elias Teodoro, Talos Leites, Kyle Omega Leish. Um, might be pronouncing that name wrong. I apologize. But, um, you know, like, again, I mean, the argument could be made that, that ACJ is a better grappler than these guys. But ultimately what I'm getting to is we saw we, – we've seen Tavares to then well, very well – against these guys that want to impose that sort of game plan. And, um, you know, ACJ, he is a really good submission grappler. He, he didn't submit Hall despite having his back more than once, uh, having a lot of back control time, to be honest, especially in that third round. And and even the Heinish fight, he couldn't submit Heinish. And I do think that, again, Hall and, Hall and Heinish are solid defensive wrestlers and grapplers, but I do think that if you're asking me who's – a superior defensive grappler. I'd actually say that Tavares is a superior grappler, uh, defensive grappler relative to those guys. So I do trust Tavares to survive. Again, ACJ is huge. Tavares is coming off the layoff, the ACL injury. Who knows exactly what he looks like, but based off the the measurables, what 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 I can see from my own perspective, I I do think that this probably goes over, um, probably com- comfortably. You know, the only way I would see it finishing realistically it would be what I said with, you know, the highest scenario, like he's, Tavares is just in top position. He's got ACJ gas and he's just kind of pouring it on him. But again, I mean, that could happen, but as long as it happens past the two and a half round mark, I mean, uh, the bet, the bet would be fine in that regard. So we'll see. I don't think that seems like kind of a reach, but I'm just trying to, you know, say all this. So there's, I list all the possible scenarios. So it's not like this, <clears throat> this huge shock that if one of these foreseeable outcomes happens, because again, that's why I do like to set percentages. Um, like I said before, I mean, I, I just don't get married to outcomes. You know, it's just, for me, I would just rather just study set percentages and just see how the fight plays out and then, you know, learn from it essentially, um, is my philosophy. So there's that Armin Tarukian and Nazareth hack press. I, I love this fight, man. I mean, these guys are tremendous prospects at this weight class. You know, I've made money betting on both of them in the past. I bet I max bet Tarukian in, in both of his two most recent matchups. Um, that is Hamos and Mercier and um, Hackpress. I bet him against Joachim Silva. I actually bet against Hackpress um, when he fought Drew Dober and Alexander Munoz. Um, so this matchup to me reminds me to a certain extent of Nathaniel Wood versus Casey Kenny. And hear me out. We got two fighters that are very good strikers. Um, they have solid volume, good technique, um, defensively sound, you know, uh, generally durable. And I do think the striking will be competitive. I do. <clears throat> Why I think Armin is favored and, Again, minus 300 seems a bit high. I do agree with him being a favorite, but maybe not by that much. And that doesn't mean that I'm going to bet Nazrat because another philosophy of mine, I don't bet a fighter unless if I believe that they should be outright favored. That's just that's just how I roll. Um, and so, yeah, like I think Armin is favored because he has the grappling upside, just like Casey Kenny did in that matchup with Wood. You know, we saw it. You know, that fight was very competitive on the feet. Very good strikers, but why Kenny was favored and why he won was because, um, you know, even though you could argue that Wood arguably won the fight too, but why 
Kenny was able to mix it up was because he had that grappling as another path of victory. And that's what Armin has here. <clears throat> I don't think Nazareth has bad takedown defense at all. I really don't. You know, he trains with Marco Madsen. He, um, he has a good sprawl in open space. He'll dig under hooks, but Against Armin, you know, well, let me let me take a step back. So against Alexander Munoz, he pretty much just had to worry about takedowns mainly. Obviously, he was concerned with the striking too, but it was more so he, um, you know, he had the he had the clearly better striking there. He wasn't as threatened by Munoz's striking to say previous opposition, and as a result, he was able to mind his p's and q's with the defensive wrestling. He was taken down in round one, um, but he but he was able to get up right away. Um, but with this matchup with Armin, it's different. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Armin take him down and control him for a bit because Nazrat, I think is going to respect Armin's striking a lot. Armin is another one of these guys who has done extensive work at Tiger Muay Thai in the past. He closes distance very well. I mean, this guy will mix in his strikes when he closes distance, which is great. Um, I, I'm very impressed. I mean, I'm very impressed with both of them, but the getting into Armin, you know, he's an orthodox striker. He could throw a head kick, low kick jab. Uh, he utilizes various feints. He'll feint from the outside. Very good lateral footwork. He'll occasionally spin. Uh, he's varied. He'll utilize a front kick. Very good combination striker. Very good combinations. Uh, obviously, I just said that, but, you know, specifically <laughs> a double right hand to a left body kick. Um, a left hook to a low kick. He, he mixes it up very, very well. And he's also got countering proficiency as well as Armin Tarukian. So, um, but getting into the Nazareth side of things, I mean, this guy's striking is, is impressive as well. I mean, this is a guy that is a southpaw. He fights at a, a solid pace. Very good striking defenses Nazareth have. As does Tarukian, you know, Nazareth will keep a high defensive guard. Um, he's He too is a counter, uh, he's got countering proficiency. Very good straight left hand as Nazareth have. Very good combinations, very good lateral footwork, and he's got some power. He's landed four knockdowns in, in six UFC fights. He's got nice combinations as well, good technique. He's got good variety as well. He'll, he'll go high, low with the kicks as well as uh, utilize a front kick as well. So <clears throat> what I'm getting to here is I do think that this striking will be very competitive. Um, a knockout can happen, but they're both generally durable. I mean, I know that Nazareth was knocked out by Dover, but he's generally shown to be durable. I mean, that was really the only fight in the UFC where he's gotten hurt. That was his only knockout loss. It was just kind of like, you know, I watched and I was just like, I think Dover just caught him with the right shot, to be honest. It's not to say that Nazareth has a bad chin, at least I don't think. Um, and to be fair, Armin's been knocked out once too professionally. It, it was a while ago, but, you know, it's they, they each have been knocked out. They both respectively have power. Um I think that Nazrat has shown more power of the two. So I guess, you know, he potentially could be more in play for the knockout, but they're both durable enough. They're both defensively sound enough that I think it probably goes on. But what I was getting to with the, with the grappling here is, you know, going back to Nazrat's debut against Marcin Held, you know, he was taken down there. He was controlled um, in open space for stretches there um, against a very good grappler, Marcin Held, albeit. But Again, it's like I, I think he's improved, but I, I just don't know how much. Again, it looked better against Munoz, but I got to consider, you know, Munoz, again, he was just kind of worried about the takedown threat. It's a lot different going up against a guy that that can mix it, that could threaten you on the feet and also threaten you with the takedown attempt. It just gives Nazrat more to think about, you know, and, and he's also got to worry about the very uh, concern, rather, 
I mean to say concerned when I say worry um, about the varied striking of, of Armin. So again, I do think that that 300 is a bit too steep, but I do agree with, with Armin being the favorite. He should win because he's got more passive victory. Again, an added layer of grappling. And this guy's grappling is tremendous, man. I, I talked about him closing distance. He's got a wide variety of ways to get the fight to the ground. Foot sweep ability. He's got a freestyle wrestling background, power double leg, you know, um, just how he grappled with Islam Makashev in his debut. It was just so, so impressive. You know, the, the way the two were scrambling, uh, threatening each other with, um, you know, submission attempts. I mean, going toe to toe with Islam Makashev in your UFC debut in, in a grappling bout is just unbelievable to be honest. Just excellent. So, um, very, very impressive stuff. So again, I think that Nazareth's takedown defense is, is overall good, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Armin, you know, for the striking to be very competitive. And then Armin is able to steal, um, you know, a round or two with, with the takedown, you know, like if it's like 50, 50 on the feet and then there's just like a minute left, Armin goes for a takedown, just kind of keeps Nazareth on his back. Something like that. You know, I, I could easily see something like that happening. So I agree with Armin being the favorite, but at this line, it's just a pass for me. Um, I'm really looking forward to that fight though. That is the headliner on the prelims. Now onto the main card, you know, um, five fights. I think these are really, really good. You know, <clears throat> kicking things off, we got Amanda Hibas taking on Marina Rodriguez, <sighs> man. You know, it's just, it's tough. Cause I do think Marina is a really talented fighter. She, I think she could really strike with the best of them at this division, but she, she keeps getting matched up with, with really good grapplers, man. And that has been – not that she's a bad defensive grappler, but that has been the area of her game that you could say she's she can improve the most. And it is getting better. I, I do see improvements with her overall takedown defense. Um, you know, I think her scrambling ability has been getting a bit better. You know, the way she's been able to defend, I mean, she's certainly been okay enough to not get finished. Granted, she was almost finished by uh, Calvillo there in round three. The referee was actually intervening. Uh, but the point I'm trying to get to is, you know, Marina, she, you know, you, you look, you look at her, your res, her resume, she's been able to go out there. She's very threatening, very technical striker, very dangerous in the clinch uh, with her knees. She, you, you could tell that she's got power. I mean, she, she hurts people with, with the strikes that she throws. And, and even though I think Rebus will, will compete with her on the feet, you know, Rebus is a very good striker as well. Um, you know, uh, Hibas will faint her way into the clinch to close distance, which will be important for her in this matchup. Um, you know, Hibas primarily likes to box. She'll primarily like to throw hands, but will occasionally spin to the body and utilize some low kicks. She's got good combinations to Hibas, good head movement, likes to pressure, strikes at a high rate, and um, is fast. So I, I think the odds here are justified in that we have a very competitive striking match, but – Rebus being a solid favorite, similar to Armin, is justified because she's got a clear, a, a, an additional path to victory with her grappling. And I do think that she's, um, you know, she, she's pretty clearly the better grappler here. You know, Hibas, she comes from a um, judo background. She's got a good judo trip, body lock takedown ability, you know, more clinch-based clinch, clinch -based takedowns, obviously. And she's also a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And she is a woman who, who has gotten better uh, each and every time out there. I remember her UFC debut against uh, Emily Whitmire. I mean, she kind of just burst out of the scene. She was coming in on a layup, but ever since then, she's been she's been tremendous. I mean, what could I say? You know, again, when she when she is on the ground, she's slick at taking the back, aggressive ground and pound for mounts. She's a proficient scrambler, a dangerous guard. You know, she nearly tapped 
Marcos, even though it went to decision with an Americana, she's a crafty submission grappler, I'd say, as he boss. And uh, in addition to what I said about her striking, she's also a defensively sound striker. So that that will be her path least resistance here. I, I do consider Re Rodriguez a threat on the feet. And Rivas, you know, even though it was a Hibas, excuse me, even though it was a while ago, she was knocked out on the regional scene. Again, was it just the perfect shot that that finished the fight? I don't know, but like Marina is technical enough. She is dangerous enough to where it, it's somewhat in play. Again, not not something that I think is the most likely thing, obviously, because obviously I'm agreeing with with Rivas being a solid favorite here, but it is it, it wouldn't be like this. Um I guess totally fluky thing, I guess, just based off how how hard Rodriguez is, how dangerous she is in the clinch in an open space, and, and the fact that that Rebos was knocked out on the regionals. And if you want to couple that with the fact that she just really Rebos really hasn't faced a striker like Rodriguez in the UFC, you know, again, like Mackenzie Dern is her striking is getting better, but like, you know. Rebos had a massive speed advantage there. You know, it's it just not the same thing. And and Marcos and, and Whitmire, she was just better on the feet then. So it's just like there's a there's def, I do definitely believe that Rodriguez is her stiffest striking test in the UFC, but I do think ultimately Hibas will be able to get this fight to the ground. Um, you know, we saw it in, in in you know Marina's two draws and her loss, right? She was mounted twice by Marcos, uh, controlled for a little over three minutes in round one. Um she was mounted briefly by Cynthia Calvillo at the end of round one. She was controlled for multiple minutes by Carla Esparza in her most recent fight. Um, she was in a deep armbar attempt by Jessica Aguilar. Her back was taken, put in a body triangle in round three against Calvillo. Um, and like I, the aforementioned, she was mounted and nearly finished with ground and pound from Calvillo in round three. So it is a spot where Rebus really does have that as a path to victory. I think that, you know, training an American top team that, you know, coming in, that camp is is very known for for coming in with great game plans. I think that that's going to be the main the main thing they're going to do. Hey, let's let's feel things out on the feet for a bit. But you know, when the opportunity presents itself, you know, close distance, get the clinch, get the takedown from the body lock, um, or, or judo throw trip, and get the fight there. And and whether she gets top control or whether she gets a finish, I think that Rebus is the rightful favorite. I'm not going to better at this line. Um, I think that her being a big favorite makes sense. So there's that. <clears throat> Next fight, Mafrabola and Ottoman Azaitar. Yeah, like I think Frivola is is live here because Azaitar. I mean, we haven't really seen it in the UFC, but on the regional scene, there's there's footage of him. You know, his defensive grappling looking liable. Um, I've seen him taken down more than once from double legs. I've seen him get his back taken with both hooks in, I've seen him taken down easily. I've seen him controlled on his back and I've also seen him slow down as the fight progresses, you know, cause he, he does, he is one of these guys and he's an undefeated fighter. So I'm, he's a very confident guy. Um, just very aggressive, very confident in his power and, and he throws hard, right? You know, and if, if you're throwing and you knock the guy out quickly, that's great. But if you're throwing with a lot of force into your strikes and you're missing your uh, opponent, you're swinging and missing, that's going to tax your cardio a lot, man. Um, so there are fights of him doing that. I've also seen him get rocked um, in fights. 
because he can't. There are times, and he's he's fought a lot more composed in the UFC. But you know, there, there's times where he he leaves himself open to be encountered because of that uh, aggressive style that he brings. So the these tendencies, not so much in terms of the striking, but more so the the grappling and the cardio. I do think that Frivola is is live to to exploit. You know, Frivola's got good cardio. We've seen him go out there and fight a hard 15 minutes. He'll vaguely recall his like post-fight interview after he uh, fought Luis Pena. He goes, I know I lost round two, or I know I lost round one. Um, I believe I won round two, and then I always win round three. And that that's so true because this guy's a cardio machine. I mean, he trains with Billy Quarantillo. He'll push the pace. He's an aggressive wrestler. He's a capable submission grappler for Vola. And That'll be what I think his game plan is going to be here. I just I don't see why they would want to go out here and try and strike with a Zaitar who hits really hard. Um, German German national tie boxing guy, um, superior footwork of the two. He's got a, a hard counter overhand right. Um, we saw that in the worthy fight from a low kick, and he's only getting better. You know, he he him and his brother uh, are both in the UFC and. You know, they're, they're both guys that are very confident in themselves. And I wouldn't be shocked to see him get a knockout here because Frivola, I mean, we saw it in the UFC debut against Polo Reyes. He was knocked down twice and then knocked out. And then we saw it against Lando Venata, even though he didn't get knocked knocked out, he got knocked down another two times. And Frivola is just, he's really, I mean, I, I appreciate his like cardio and his like enthusiasm in there, but it, it kind of leaves him just defensively liable. He he just kind of gets a little too too aggressive, you know. Like his striking defense is liable. He'll overextend on his punches. Uh, I just mentioned the the polar race and Venata fight, but he was also hurt by Jalen Turner. He was hurt at least twice by Luis Pena. You know, he's he's open to being countered. So he just is Frivola. Yeah, I mean he'll he throws with he has some pop in his hands. He's aggressive, but he's mainly just winging kind of power hooks. And I could easily see a Zaitar just countering him and in, in getting the knockout again. I wouldn't. I would be zero percent surprised. But again, I mean, Frivola is live to, to exploit the cardio if it hasn't improved. That is uh, live to exploit the, the grappling if it hasn't improved of a Zaitar um, and, and win down the stretch. So I, I kind of see it as like a Zaitar early. For Vola late, I do think that he'll have to weather a bit of a storm because even if Fervola could get a Zaitar down early, you know, he's shown to kind of struggle to to control guys on the ground for extended periods of time. Um, you know, we saw Pena was able to get up promptly a few times. You know, we've seen him swept uh, like on the contender series. He was reversed by Jalen Turner. He was reversed by Luis Pena. So, you know, a Zaitar is athletic enough, strong enough to where like if Fervola gets him down, early while his itar has got a lot of energy in the tank. I could see his itar getting up, but as the fight goes on, that's going to be where Fravola I think has more and more success. If his itar hasn't addressed that cardio. Um, so it is a, a fight that I think is pretty binary in that his itar should be comfortably favored on the feet, but then, um, you know, for, and, and the more, uh, threatening finisher overall, but Favola's got the the cardio and in, in the grappling going for him. So um, again, I, I do I do see it as a dog or pass matchup, but 
it, it is a pass for me. Again, I just I would be I would be zero percent surprised if Azaitar just goes out there and knocks out Ravola just based off the him getting hurt so many times and the defense that he's shown. You know, if if, if Ravola had you know it, more improved defense, I would I would maybe bet him. But again, it's it's him getting it, he is getting hurt in these fights because of his his defense and his wildness. So. We'll see. I, again, I would I wouldn't be shocked to see Frivola pull off the upset, but ultimately I do favor his ITAR here. Jessica I and Joanne Calderwood. A fight where I think it's really close. I mean, I agree with the odds, you know, in that it's I think I's a bit quicker, bit bit sharper with her with her boxing, I'd say. And she hits harder and she's more defensively sound. You know, whereas Calderwood will, she's got like the Muay Thai striking shoot. She tends to leave her head on the center line, whereas, you know, I will kind of, you know, bob back and forth, you know, move her, move her head off the center line. I's got good combinations. She's got a one, two and a body kick. And, um, she likes to be the aggressor. And, um, I think she's got better footwork than Calderwood. So there's enough there where, Again, I think that at kicking range, those those exchanges will favor Calderwood. She just she, she utilizes more more kicks. She's got more variety with her kicks. She'll go low. She'll go uh, to the front kick, the head kick, the body kick. Um, and in the even in the clinch, you know that's another aspect. You know, in the clinch, Joanne has good knees and elbows. She's got good combinations. She's got higher volume than than I. I'd say so. And I do think that I'm not sold on Calderwood's defensive grappling, but I doesn't really show a willingness to go for takedowns. So I'd say of the two, Calderwood's got more takedown upside. You know, she's not, she could take you down with a double leg against the fence, but she's also could take you down from caught kicks, which, you know, we have seen I taken down Dalmai in the past. So, uh, by Viviani Arujo, that is, but but Isa overall, I'd say she's a solid overall defensive grappler. You know, I don't think it's going to be a thing where Calderwood just takes her down and then that's that's the rest of the round right there. If there's like a couple minutes left, you know, like I think Calderwood can take her down and maybe control her for I don't know thirty seconds to a minute at most. So, but but that gives Calderwood another path to victory. So it is a fight where like, yeah, I mean, I think it's really close. Again, I, I trust I's defense more. I trust her footwork more. I think she's got sharper, sharper hands, but why I like Calderwood a little bit more, why I trust her a little bit more when I'm picking her is because I think she's more varied of a striker. She's got better volume. And I think she's got more takedown upside of the two. Um, so yeah, but it, it does still make me hesitant her grappling. Cause it's like, you know, we look at the Jennifer Maya last fight last time where she was submitted from an arm bar from guard, she's been submitted, you know, by Marina Mar- Moreau's from an armbar and, um, you know, Jessica Andras from a guillotine choke a few years ago. So like, again, I think that Calderwood's grappling overall is improving, but it's more so been her offensive grappling that she's been showing more willingness to go to, but her defensive grappling has been still an area I do believe that is getting better, but could still get more improved. So should I get in top position, it, it could get interesting, but I just, you know, I, I, I'm not going into this fight like counting on I to really go out there and shoot takedowns just because that's not really her MO. <clears throat> so pick is Calderwood. Co-main event. Um, I, I have a tough time reading with this one, to be honest with you, because it's like 
I think Hooker has good takedown defense overall. He he defends well. I think he's gotten better. He's uh, you know he works with the guys at City Kickboxing like Israel Adesanya, Kai Kara France, all these guys that are are known as strikers, but but have very good takedown defense, right? Um, that said, he hasn't really faced a wrestler like like Chandler in like his a wrestler and athlete combo like Chandler in his recent fights. And it just adds an interesting wrinkle to this fight because again, I don't, I don't think hooker's defensive grappling is bad. I mean, this guy is a guy that threatened um, Gilbert Burns, you know, uh, with, with a choke, right. Um, he's also a capable scrambler as well, but it just, it's another kind of unknown ish thing that um, ultimately makes me pass on the fight. I do like Hooker a bit more in the matchup. You know, he's just much we 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 just kind of know what we're getting out of him in a UFC octagon. He's a very talented fighter. I mean, this is a guy that is is amongst the best at lightweight, and that really says something, you know. And look, I mean, even though he he's coming off a loss to Poirier, I mean, I thought he acquitted himself well in that fight. You know, he he fought his heart out. I mean, he he landed a lot of volume. He went for takedowns. He showed He showed off his toughness, which he's, we, we've always known that he has. And so um, with this matchup, like I do, why I like Hooker is because I favor him on the feet. He's got more tools as a striker. He's also a bit longer. He gets switch stances on you. Uh, he utilizes some very good calf kicks. He'll, he manages distance very well. You know, again, he'll go high, low with the kicks. He'll attack to the uh, he'll attack to the body with punches and kicks, and he has a very good knee that he times very well. And he's got power. You know, he he knocked down Iaquinta, who's very durable. He uh, twenty of the, or excuse me, ten of his twenty win pro wins are by TKO KO. So in, in Chandler, we we have seen him. Well, I don't know how often you, you watch Bellator, but but there is fights of Chandler getting rocked uh, rocked, and he has been he has been knocked out a couple times by uh, Pitbull and, and Will Brooks. Um, I, I did see him hurt by by Brent Primus. It it is a fight where, like again, I, I guess I wouldn't be shocked to see Chandler win just because he is so talented. I mean, in addition to the wrestling that I pointed out, again, he's a high level athlete. He's a proficient grappler. Um, on the mat, that is, he's a, a good striker as well. You know, he utilizes a low kick, hard body kick. He's got a lot of power in those hands. He utilizes his feints. And even though I favor Hooker on the feet, I mean, the thing with Hooker, and I do think he's a very good striker, is if you're able to close distance on him, you could you could kind of you could do some damage. I mean, we saw that in the in the Edson Barboza fight, uh, the Poirier fight, you know, again. I think Chandler is going to have to go through a lot to get to that point. And that's why I like hooker more of the two. I think he'll be able to keep his range long enough. And I, I trust his takedown defense enough to keep the fight standing to win the majority of the exchanges. But I mean, again, I'm not putting it past Chandler to go out there and get a win. I mean, the guy, the guy has hurt durable guys. I mean, he's, he's got a lot of power and you know, it, it is a fight. I favor hooker. I mean, I'm not betting him or anything because the 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 wrestling unknown thing, but I, I do I do like him a bit more. Just trust him a bit more. I think this is a great matchup though for the UFC to to match Chandler up with because you put him in there with a guy like Hooker and, and you know like Hooker's a top ten lightweight and so if Chandler gets a win over Hooker, it's you, you could take it as like well he he is a a top ten 
UFC lightweight, there's, you know, there, there's been people for, for a long time that have thought that Chandler is one of the best, very best lightweights in the world. And I still think the case could be made, but, but now we have that. Now, now we're sure of it. We're, we're a lot more sure of it. If he goes out there and beats a guy like Dan Hooker, that this is a, this is a legit top 10 UFC level lightweight guy. So, um, we'll see how it looks. I, I think it'll be a fun fight for as long as it lasts. I mean, how often do you see Dan Hooker in a boring fight, you know? So like, I think it'll be fun. I, I just want to, my, my goal here is to take away something and learn from it and see what could be applied in the future. Whether it's, whether it's Hooker with the takedown defense against a, a wrestler on the caliber of Chandler or, or Chandler um, on how he actually looks in a UFC octagon against a guy like Dan Hooker. That is, that is so good of a striker, very well-rounded longer fighter as well. So I think this, this fight is very compelling. As is the main event, which is the last fight to talk about. So, Poye and McGregor rematch. Um, I love this fight. You know, I think Connor could win by knockout again. I'm not putting it past him. I wouldn't be shocked. Um, if he doesn't knock out Dustin in rounds one or two, I think it's going to be tough for him to be honest. And and that's. That's something that is is in the percentages, right? Again, I I don't get married to outcomes, and and somewhere in in the foreseeable um, scenarios where this fight plays out, there is there there are there are scenarios where, where Connor goes out there and, and finishes this fight. You know, we saw Dustin was was hurt uh, and finished the first time these two squared off. Granted, it was a while ago at featherweight, but we've also seen Dustin uh, knocked out by by Michael Johnson, and we know that Connor hits very hard. He's very threatening, especially early on. He's a switch stance striker as Connor. He's varied. He's got a good oblique kick, spin kick, low kicks, body kick, push kick, head kick, and occasional uh, body work as well with very good combinations, boxing combination that is a stabbing front kick, great distance management, and counter proficiency. You know, Connor is very good at slipping, slipping and countering with that left hand. And to touch on the threatening part of Connor, he's got 13 knockdowns in the UFC, which is extremely high. Um, three of them came uh, – three of them came against Eddie Alvarez, you know, in, in a fight that only went past uh, the second round there. So <clears throat> Connor has a legit chance to win this fight early, but man, I, I really do stand by what I put out there on Twitter. I do. Th and, and to all the, the mailing list subscribers and, and really anywhere you could find my bet on this fight, I do feel like the value is on Poirier and I do favor him, you know, He's been way more active than Connor, and I know that that's not the end all be all in the matchup. But you know, Connor has just—he's fought it forty seconds in since two thousand and nineteen. I mean, I know the guy's working hard and everything, but it's just like that octagon time that that experience in there that that's recent. You know, Poirier's been in there, gone twenty five minutes with Max Holloway. He went twenty five minutes with Dan Hooker. He went a couple rounds with Habib Nurmagomedov. Like. I think that bodes well for Poirier and just, I think he's the better technical striker. Again, I think that offensively Connor is great, but defensively, you know, he keeps his hands low and, and his chin is high. Connor's got an excellent chin. He's, he's harder. He's more difficult to hurt of the two. Um, but Poirier is a tremendous offensive striker himself. You know, he's got a uh, good countering proficiency um, he's got a lot of punching power. He can utilize the double jab cross uh, as one of his combos. He's got better footwork of the two. He throws in combination well, and 
why I think he's got better striking defense compared to Connors is because Poirier will will keep a high defensive guard. He'll keep his hands up. He rolls with the punches very well, and he's got better head movement than than Connor, and he'll tuck his chin. Connor again, he's great when he keeps you when he's able to manage his distance. But we've seen Connor fatigue more than once in fights. He has a very um, explosive style, athletic style, like fast twitch muscle style. He like he's very dangerous early on. He'll slip out of the way and counter you and hurt you against a lot of guys. And again, that can happen here. But like Poirier has a legit shot to extend Connor, and if he could do that, I think he could beat Connor by just being the better technical fighter, pushing the higher pace. I trust Poirier's cardio more of the two. And I don't think Poirier will be able to take down Connor while Connor's fresh. I do, I do think that Connor, again, Connor's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belt, I believe. Um, but but just from the eye test, like he defended well, I thought, against Khabib defending takedowns. You know, despite getting taken down, he gave Khabib a lot of resistance. And he also defended well ten, uh, defending takedowns from Eddie Alvarez. So I don't think while Connor's fresh that Poirier will be able to take him down. But if Poirier extends him, I could see him clinching up with Connor, dropping down for a double leg against the fence and taking him down, just like we saw Nate Diaz do. I mean, again, Connor's defensive grappling isn't liable while he's fresh, but if you could tire on him or if you could wear on him, get him tired, uh, if you could get in top position on him, you could finish. I mean, you, you know what I mean? Like, look at the first Diaz fight. Um, Poirier is a very good submission grappler, and – Again, I know Connor is too, but this is with the assumed fatigue. And there is always reason to believe that Connor has improved his cardio. Again, he's now fighting at 155. Those fights that I mentioned against Diaz, they were at 170. Who knows what that actually did with his cardio? But even look at the, the boxing match against Floyd Mayweather. You know what I mean? So I, I do trust Poirier's cardio more of the two. I trust his work rate more of the two. I trust his defense more of the two. And I just trust him. I just trust his grappling more assuming that he's fresher than Connor as the fight goes on. So that's basically the way I see it. I'm picking Poirier to win outright. I bet him at plus 250. I put two units on him. And again, I get it. I, I know that Connor's got a legit chance to, win, chance to win, but I just really believe that, and maybe I'm wrong on this, if he doesn't go out there and knock out Poirier in rounds one or two, he's not going to look like minus 300. Um. And, and that's what I thought, you know, before these two fights playing out, but, you know, with, with Joaquin Buckley and, and Santiago Ponzinibbio, again, I thought this before the fight playing out. This isn't, you know, me just kind of getting on here after the fact. Like, if they didn't knock out the opposition, then it was going to be a competitive fight as it were on. And, again, it is still possible that Connor knocks out Poirier because Poirier was knocked out twice. But in those matches, for, for reference, you know, we saw Lee was rocked multiple times. Still never been knocked out. DiStrigo never been knocked out. We saw him hurt by coming to the fight prior. So it is always possible that these very threatening guys get the knockout. But again, if they can't find the knockout, are they still going to look like the favorite? And that's where I, I favor Poirier here. I just, again, better work rate, better defense, and better grappler, assuming that he's fresh and Connor gets tired. And so it is, it is a more in-depth fight to dissect, and there is there is layers here. And I do think that, that again, Connor is a legit threat to finish early. But in a five-round fight against a guy like Dustin Poirier, man, 
and and the rematch, you know, I just I think they're just much different fighters now, to be honest. I, I really do believe that. So um, again, if I'm wrong, it's okay. I you know I, I do this because I love this. I mean, that's the primary. The secondary is is great. That I you know there's there's money to be made in addition to that, but. I don't mind being wrong. You know, I'm, I'm okay with being wrong. And that, that goes with all the bets that I placed in the future or in the past. So it is what it is. But uh, regardless, I'm really looking forward to this fight. I'm really looking forward to this, this card. It is tremendously stacked. Um, it is the, the last card here of the week. <laughs> we had a card here today on Wednesday. So um, and it looks like we're going to be taking a little bit of a break, but then right after uh, that next Saturday, we are going to, get right back on track with uh, Alistair Overeem versus Alexander Volkov UFC fight night. So um, that'll do it. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really appreciate the support. Um, if you want, you can follow me on Twitter at AJ MMA betting. Um, my third party tracked bet betting record is at betmma.tips backslash Anthony S three, six, four. My website is AJ and their website is like all, but it's like all done. It's all updated. I just need to access that. So um, the, the more user friendly website is still in the works. Um, I'll, I'll keep you guys posted on that. Um, and you, you feel free to subscribe to the mailing list if you want to. I mean, it, obviously you don't have to if you don't want to, but um, there you will see receive a, a nice thank you email automation as well as uh, all the the future bets that i have as well as the breakdown so all my bets are there they 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 say exactly what i'm betting and and why i'm betting that so hope that makes sense thank you so much and have a good day